Welcome to the Primal Path Podcast. We chat with our tribe to build a stronger connection through our native ways of communication. Learn about our coaches, clients, gym programming, and hear from our local businesses and find out about the latest happenings. To be successful in something, and your coach is telling you, you're going to do eight 400s today, and I want you to breathe through your nostrils and not your mouth for every single 400. You might start out at an eight minute pace for that first 400 and you might end at a 13 minute pace doing a slow walk. And that's exactly where you need to be because if you don't do that, you're not training where you are at currently. If you're not training where you're at currently, then what you're doing is you're overtraining, you're setting yourself up for failure or you're dipping, you're you're, you're already creating a deficit in terms of injury uh, potential, in terms of uh, overtraining and, and injury, essentially. Yeah. You have to be where you're at and not, not don't be flashing images of social media in your head and what, do I, what are people thinking while I'm running? There's people on the track, they're watching me, I have to look a certain way. Let it go. Let it go. If you're really invested in yourself and what your training is and what your outcome is, your goal stick to the simple couple instructions two or three things that you're thinking about and that's it no one cares if you're walking on a track and you're supposed to be running well i mean that that, that's the issue that i see with so many people is that they get wrapped around a just getting the work done i want to get the done the work done as quick as possible because i'm miserable it's work first of all there's 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 it should be it should be work it should be work right I mean, it's going to be work. It doesn't mean that it has to be hard, but it's still like, like honestly, like doing fitness for your body. If we're not working and our work doesn't involve making our body better, like we're not building houses and we're not welding heavy things or we're not walking all the time and carrying things and doing all the other stuff. If we're not working, that's making us sweat and do physical activity, then we need to be working in the gym. And when you work, you focus. It's not That's do whatever the hell you want. That's your and, time. And, 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 and pay attention. You're like, there for yourself. You're there yeah, for like, your family. You're there for your friends. All it, of that. If you're That's taking that you're hour, yeah, if you're taking that hour to do fitness, don't take that hour to go in and not even think about it and turn your brain off. You're putting in the time. You're investing in the time. You might as well invest it where it needs to be invested in. Put, yeah, put the phone down and stuff like that. But when we give give somebody something to do, a task, especially if it's a long task, and we want something on there, like we, we always want something to focus on that task, especially when that task is really long. If we're just like, yeah, go out and run for a mile, it's fine, do whatever you want. You're, you're, you're going to just continue to build your compensation muscles. You're, you're not going to really be att- paying attention to what's, what's going on. But if I say, guys, we're going to go run, and I want you to run, as fast as you can, but only breathe through your nose. N- nose. Only breathe through your nose. <clears throat> now you have to constantly be aware of the way you're running. You have to be aware of how fast you're running. You're, and you have to be aware of your breathing. And now you're going to spend an entire time focusing on your breathing, which is going to create some adaptations into your brain. You're going to have some re- um, feedback, biofeedback, that's going to let you know what's respect. going on. You're going to have some respect for your capabilities. You're going to have respect for for running because you're going to realize after the first 30 seconds on that first interval that you need to go from a seven minute pace to an 11 minute pace because you're already breathing through your mouth. It's biofeedback. 
Yeah. When you, when you instruct somebody to do something like that, you say, I want you to run a mile as hard as you can, breathing through your nose. And for, for people who are inexperienced with that, the first 30 seconds, they're going to go out way harder than they should, and they're already going to be mouth breathing. And then they're probably going to need to walk for 30 seconds to get their heart rate low enough to breathe through their nose again. And it's humbling. And I've been there for years. Yeah. And, and it, when, this, when, when this realization comes, you start to, it carries over into other, other uh, movements that you do in your life or in the gym too, not just running. It's, it's about not overextending and, and taking yourself and going too hard and, and uh, increasing the injury potential in things like squats, things like deadlifts, uh, things like um, um, single leg work, you know, standing while you're wobbling and flopping all over the place. It's like, no, if I, if I can't stand on my leg for five seconds without flailing, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to lift my leg up one inch off the floor and practice for five second intervals with perfect form. And the, I know when I come off like this, I, I think you're, you're recording. Yeah, oh yeah. This, when I come off like this, this is a, this is a this is a thing that stresses people out when they when 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 a coach or somebody talks about parameters where they don't want you to to leave these parameters of a workout it's stressful for a lot of people they think i just want to have fun that's why i'm paying for this i just want to have fun i just want to i just want to do what i want to do i don't want to think too much i'm just there to get a sweat guess what long term speaking we have to quiet our minds down and develop a focused, concentrated relationship with our own body. And that requires hyper-focus in many instances if you want to get certain muscles firing properly. And it requires a mostly long-term effort for a lot of folks. Some, some people, they pick up the neuromuscular adaptations in a matter of a minute. Yeah. Some people, it's usually about six weeks, maybe eight weeks for like the average folk. But that neuromuscular connection, that ability to control your parts, control your limbs, control that single leg when you're standing on it, where you're not flapping all over, it requires focus. And once, once you can control the limb, then it's off to the races for a lot of people. A lot of people, it, it, it's like, wow, that was the missing link in their fitness journey. Now they can pick up weight, have way better form. Now they can run with way better form. But it requires a concentrated relationship with your body so that you can develop that control over your body first. And it requires slowing down. It's everything, uh, it's everything in opposition to what our culture is, is teaching us right now, to be honest with you, for decades. Yeah, and I, I think you nailed it. And that's exactly why we have the revive sequences. The whole purpose of a revive sequence is to start off class is not, it's to warm you up, but it's be, even before a warm up, our focus is trying to get the muscles working and have you be aware of the muscles. And yes, this is an incredibly informal podcast that we're talking about. So you have dogs barking and we're sitting out here on a Sunday afternoon just playing with the dogs. And this is what Matt and I do. We talk about movement. This is our conversations. But I feel like this is also a conversation that we need to have. And I think what you're talking about is something that we've been trying to push, especially at Primal Path, is finding that one thing that you get the biofeedback that you're like, oh my gosh, I understand so much. What can else can I apply this to? And taking that time to learn and think about your body. And if you get that aha moment that you're like, oh man, I did this and I slowed it down and look how much better I am at this at a heavier weight at a faster pace. 
Once you get that, you're going to apply it not only to, like you said, every other movement in the gym, but now you start applying it to the other aspects of your life, right? You start applying it to things outside the gym, and now it also pushes the capability of what you can do. But so many people are just worried about getting in the gym, going fast, getting it done, and that that's the case, good. But if we have a goal besides just doing some sort of fitness that we want to accomplish, we have to take a step back from everything that we have been doing in the past. Every aspect of, of, of weight went, you know, I jumped into Olympic weightlifting uh, 11 years after I started CrossFit. Now I went to a weightlifting seminar. I've, I've, I know I've done uh, extensive coaching at that time, but it wasn't until I went and did weightlifting, just the snatch and the clean and jerk specifically, um, that I had a rude awakening that changed my life too, because it wasn't, I'm going in there and loading up the weights that I know I can do in CrossFit at the time. It was, my coach was like, sweet. First two months, we're only using the barbell. I don't care what it is. You're only using the barbell for the first, um, first two months. And I'm like, this is bullshit. But what I learned after taking two months working three to four times a week of just doing the barbell when I added weight, everything that I ever taught was readjusted and I became a lot stronger than I ever was. My movement was a lot better and everything made sense. And it all took someone, a coach, to tell me, stop, you're going to go and it's going to feel monotonous and slow and take you um, a long time to get this. And I'm like, no, I'll be fine. I try to rush it because of the society that we live in. But little did I know... That, that slow, steady approach of just trying to feel the movements and visualize what's going on before I did something, yeah, that you actually can achieve something a lot better. If you visualize it in your head, and it's the same thing with, with music and singing, if you could sing the notes in your head before you speak them, if you hum the notes before you sing them, if you could think about the tone on an instrument before you play the songs, if you think about all those things before they happen, when that when you actually go to do the thing you're going to have a better outcome than just randomly promise, doing the movement or I, pro I promise everyone that if you slow down um oh let's start off by giving an example if you stand on one leg and you can stand for 90 seconds a couple minutes three minutes even without moving more than an inch or two your arms don't go out more than six 12 inches off your side to compensate and then you close one eye and then you're able to achieve that. And then you close two eyes and then you're able to achieve that. doesn't sound very sexy, right? No. But I, pr I promise you that throughout the journey of doing that and achieving that, whether it takes you uh, an hour or three months or three weeks, that you're going to develop a level of control over your leg that you were standing on that you, you, you had never anticipated and why? Because you're currently living in a mental map of your body, in your brain, that, that's running on autopilot all the time. When you're walking, your leg's just hitting the ground um, without much thought to it for most people. And the, uh, the more that you burn in this signal this, uh, from your brain to that leg, for example, um, the more expansive that mental map becomes. Yes. The mental map is everything when it comes to neuromuscular control, controlling your body, your parts. And you get that through isometrics. You get it through slow movement. 
repeated over time. And it's amazing what you can do when you, when you break through that boundary that for, and for some people, like I said, it takes, it could take minutes or an hour or hours. Some people it takes six weeks. Some people it could take a little bit longer, but if you expand the mental map of your body, where it is in time and space, uh, body scans do this in meditation where you sit quietly and you just, you think about your body parts. Yes. Okay. This is a great example then I, if you have more control over your parts because you have a more expansive mental map of your body in time and space, then you can control weight better. You can control your movement better. And when you can control movement, you can, you can control lots of things. Your performances, whether it's in CrossFit, whether it's in uh, running, uh, whether it's in uh, anything. anything. I, I, honestly, I'm not going to mess around. It's anything, really. Anything. It's anything. You, you, your body is, is your... That, that's the vessel that you, you live life through. So everything you do in your life is through your body. When you can control your body better, you're, you're, you're the captain and you're in charge, you know? You know, like uh, one thing that I want to talk about is how this applies even in my recovery on my foot. So when they, they removed a big chunk of my bone about the size of a dime or a nickel in the back of my heel, they cut my Achilles tendon, reattached it. They sent me home with opioids as a painkiller. And when I got home, I used the opioids for the first uh, less than 12 hours, I would say, just because I was coming off it. I didn't have a clue how it would feel, but I was not about using opioids because it's going to numb. It's going to put my brain in a different state. My body doesn't know what to do. It's just more to distract the pain. So after those first initial 12 hours from my recovery of my heel surgery, I did not use any of the pain meds at all that they gave me. I, I... one, I don't believe in using opioids because, well, I don't want the addiction factor. I don't want any of that stuff. Even though I'm a pretty strong mentally person, I didn't want to deal with that. But one thing I did use, and I used it for a different purpose than most people think, is I used weed. I used freaking marijuana and I used cannabis. Whatever the way, whatever way you want to call it, that's what I used to deal with my pain. And I'll tell you why. It's because when I use marijuana... I can feel my body healing. You have so many more cannabinoid receptors in your body. And I know, Matt, this is not your case at all. And I know this is totally off the subject and stuff. But I, I always want to be entirely honest with uh, our listeners. But what happened was is when I used weed, I can feel my body healing. It intensified the pain. But when I intensify the pain in my body from not doing anything but taking something that has a or that's a receptor in my body i can feel exactly what's happening in my heel and i could feel it moving i could feel it healing it pushed me to go explore that movement because what it did is it provided it's a sensation in a place that i just had surgery where the opioids were more to numb the sensation make my like brain feel groggy block the pain receptors do all that stuff that's the last thing i want I do not want to block the pain. I want to feel and, and understand what's happening with my body because then I can adapt my body in a better way to understand how to help it heal as well. As and this is effect. biofeedback 101. Yeah, it has a net effect of disassociating you, your brain, however you define yourself, you, from your physical body parts. And when that happens, you lose, you have a neuromuscular deficit, I'll call it. That's, and then yes. going back to five minutes ago, it's 
to you, to recapture that control of your body, you need to increase your neuromuscular system by slowing things down, by yes. focusing, by concentrating. And I'll even go as far as saying being in a physical location that is free of distraction because you really are not going to reap the full benefits. Not going to reap the full benefits of this if you have music blaring in your face and kids crying next to you and people poking fun at you, pushing you while you're trying to fall. That's for another time. Perturbations and dynamic single leg strength and all these things. But initially, if if you if you uh, take for granted this idea of having control over your body parts and you don't slow things down in order to gain this control, then you're going to have a cascade of effects that's going to it's going to, uh, we can get into that in another time, but essentially when you're not controlling your body, whether it's loaded or not, you're not utilizing your muscles, tendons, your tissues, ligaments, how they're intended to be used. And when that happens, you're asking for other parts of your body to take loads yes. that they're not intended to take. And if you do that enough times, it becomes a chronic, habituated, compensatory type of thing. And all of this is just a long way of saying that you're going to have aches and pains. You're going to have stiffness in places. And at first you might not perceive it. And then a year later you do and it becomes a thing you think about all the time. And then five, ten years down the road it becomes surgery. It becomes a broken bone. It becomes anything, you know, really. Yeah. And one thing like when... When I was able to turn my brain on and feel my body healing and it was tough. It was, it was, it was rough. It was horrible. Um, but at the same time to me, that's my way of knowing that I'm getting better is about feeling the pain. I think about it back in the day when they didn't have anesthesia and they didn't have all this other stuff and people would be able to recover from the stuff because they understood that dealing with pain. And I think we have to build a relationship with pain. We have to build a positive relationship with pain. Pain is your body's natural response to telling you, hey, I want you to be safe. Like this, you shouldn't do this. But what happens is, is especially in this world where we don't move our body so much that a lot of the muscles that we should be using, we aren't using. And when we feel pain, we just immediately say, oh, I don't want to do that. But sometimes the brain can get misconstrued and that pain is going to be a protector even though we don't need that protection especially if we haven't used a muscle in a long time. Like for instance, people have tons of low back injuries, right? Low back is just so common because of everything that goes on today. But, but when people feel pain or discomfort in their back, I want them to explore that discomfort. I want them to go, okay, that hurts. What, you know, as long as we're working underneath a four or six on our pain scale, what I'm looking at is, okay, go into that. Now move your body around and see what happens. Find a way to get out of that pain by moving your body in a weird position. And, and I can't really show it or stuff like that, but being able to try to explore your movement and seeing where you can get in a position that's really awkward that might turn off the pain and sit in that. And usually what that means is an isometric contraction of the muscle. So while I was recovering from uh, my heel surgery and still am, I wasn't using any of my calves. I wasn't using my quads. Uh, I was using a lot of my hamstring, a lot of my MCL because the way they cranked my foot down. So I felt a lot of pain in my MCL, obviously a lot of pain in my heel and my hamstring was just being blown out because it had to be used to hold my foot with a boot up for so long. And with that, 
I know I needed to fire up my glutes. I know I needed to fire, fire up my quads. How do I do that when a foot is being wrapped up just after surgery? So I have to try and find ways while laying in a bed to fire that stuff up. And when I did, it felt good. It felt that I was promoting blood through my body. I can feel my heel working. I feel the connection from my glute all the way down to my heel. And yes, my heel did feel like pain. The fact of the matter is I was able to distract that pain and still fire the muscles up that are, that are in the kinetic chain to help me like get better. And, and, and I had to take a step back from what just laying here or just being a, a person. And I have every excuse as a person has surgery to not do anything. But I took the time to take the small little adjustments in my body to try and fire up a muscle, explore new movement, and just try to reconnect and get some biofeedback into my system because I honestly think that's what's gonna help me prevent from long-term injury, for one. Two, from those muscles getting totally atrophied, which is gonna take even a longer time to recover. And, and three, the biggest thing that I mostly see is that people who go through surgery with scar, they don't, with like scar tissue and all that other stuff, is they, they don't, don't properly do a recovery, so they have to spend the next couple of years trying to awaken that body. I, have a I want to prevent that. that. And with that, I like, and that's, you know, and I'm not trying to justify myself on why I use we and think whatever the hell you want. I mean, I don't really care. But to me, you could use that as a feedback on what's going on in your body because you have such, uh, neuromuscular feedback because you have so many cannabinoid receptors. And if you take CBD, especially a, a cannabis-based CBD, a lot of people take that before they work out because why? It helps build the mind-muscle connection. Now, I'm not saying go out and freaking smoke weed to before you go work out. That's not what I'm saying. You have to understand it and how it, how it affects your body in every way. But I also want to, I guess not deter people from trying new things or trying things that other people might think is wrong just because of its status in society over the past 20 years. And this is not about promoting it either, but I'm just being honest about my recovery and about what I'm doing. Uh, part of what we're talking about is the word biofeedback, just to simplify things, or, or maybe it's going over, you ever hadn't been in a conversation and someone's talking about something and you realize you don't even know what they're talking about? Yes. So maybe we backtrack a little bit and this is through, through my eyes. This is how I, I view biofeedback in lots of ways, but one of them would be for a simple example, probably something like, um, you were maybe when you were 20 years old, you were super fit, felt great, um, lean, healthy, eating well, all that. And then when you're 30, Somebody checks your ego or checks you in general and goes, hey, man, you're fat or you're gaining weight. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way because like, people like to get all upset about certain words now. But, you know, fat. That might be a, a form of biofeedback. That's something outside of you that's giving you feedback. You're getting feedback about something that's going on with your health, with your body, with your musculoskeletal. With Biofeedback is also an MRI results, you take a look at something that you've been, been nagging you for five years and you go, huh, I got, a, I got a piece of metal on my shoulder. Hmm. You have information. You have a new mental map how to work with this issue you're having. Biofeedback can be, maybe in a gym sense, something like, okay, I want you to, I want you to hold this static position. Let's call it a plank, right? 
And I'm not going to give you a time limit. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you to hold it as long as possible until you feel pain. And I'm talking like a seven or an eight. And a 10 would be an emergency room. Okay, let's say you're recovering from um, a surgery. You had a hernia or something. And you're trying to rehab it. When you get to that seven, I want you to tell me. Or I want you to give me a signal. And then I'm going to see how long it took. Maybe it took 45 seconds. Okay? Now you tell the person. That was 45 seconds until you felt that 7 out of 10 pain. And then the next week, they do the same exact move, the same exact static hold for 50 seconds. That's biofeedback. The person goes, I'm getting better. You know? That does something. It stimulates, it stimulates your investment in your own health. In your sense of, I'm succeeding. I'm achieving a goal. I'm heading in a direction. Biofeedback can take, you know, take the... Uh, it, it can look like watts, a watt uh, meter on a bike or on a, on a Zybex bike or a Rogue bike. Those are excellent where, hey, I was doing 400 watts for 10 seconds five years ago. And, and, and now I have a good gauge of where my fitness is on the, on the same bike because now I'm doing 200 watts for 10 seconds. And that, that is not a judgment. What that is, is that's science. That's, that's numbers. That's, and if you're, if you, if you're wise about it or you, or you take the perspective that I do, it's not an opportunity for you to get down on yourself. It's telling you information that you should be getting excited from because now you know where you're at and now you know where you need to go and how to get there. Biofeedback can be a mirror. It can be showing you your form. A lot of folks might stand on a leg, one leg, and go, oh, I'm going to stand on one leg for as long as I can. And they do it for five minutes. And then they go ahead and they tell their coach. They go to the gym. They go, I sit on one leg for five minutes. And you go, okay, show me. Show me in this mirror. And then they stand on the leg and their knee is completely valgus. Which means caved in. It's caved in. Their arch is collapsed. Their neck is locked up tight. And their arms are flailing everywhere after the first 20 seconds. Right? And then you say... You seeing what I'm seeing? And they go, oh my God, yeah, I had no idea. My form is all jacked up. I'm actually creating a negative muscle memory in my body. Yeah, compensation. Exactly. The mirror is biofeedback. What happens is your brain goes, oh, when I'm feeling what I thought was correct or good, healthy form is actually not. And then you, you help them adjust. And they look in the mirror and now they have these new neuro, these signals going to their brain and it's going to be painful. It's going to be uncomfortable. And you know what? You're going to f- fall out of that form every second. And you're going to keep reminding them. You're going to remind yourself in the mirror. Go, oh, nope. Hip is sagging. Oh, arch is collapsing. And you're going to adjust in real time. And you're going to get to a point where you might go for 30 seconds. But you know what? That's not a time for you to judge yourself. That's a time for you to say... Great, I was at five minutes with terrible form and it's going to jack up my health. But now I'm at 30 seconds with great form. And now I'm going to do 35 seconds tomorrow and 40, you know. It, so it's, it's like we try to get better so we can regress ourselves so we can get better. Because in the best lesson I ever learned in anything that you ever do, once you master your fundamentals, go back and restart your fundamentals. That's all it is. It's just and, and, and that's exactly what it is. And a really good example of exactly what you're talking about is like, because I've had this issue with my heel for so long before I got the surgery, um, I looked at myself, I, I, I would 
have minimal clothes on so I could see where my body is at in a mirror, full body mirror. And I put my hands right above the bony hip on my side. And I saw that one side of my hip was a little bit lower than the other. And most of us have that. And then what I decided to do is like, what can I do to help correct this? Well, one way to help correct it is to put myself back in a proper position. So I'd raise my hip. And as I raised my hip, I saw my entire torso shift to the other side. So then what I try to do is looking in the mirror, which is always hard to try to adjust movement in the mirror, is now reposition my torso. So my hips in the right position, I reposition my torso and then I look at my head and my head is shifted to the left more than right. And the movement that I think I need to do to get my head in the right position is entirely in the wrong axis that it actually needs to do. But my body says, this is what you're supposed to do. And I adjusted my head and I'm like, oh my God, that's not where I need to go. And then I started trying to explore to find to get my spine perfectly straight, my hips level. And when I got into that position after about a minute or two, I was like, dear God, this is like, I feel the muscles firing. Oh my gosh. And I looked at it and I go, I need to work on this. Yeah. You know what the lesson is? And another way to say it too, in my mind is I don't, I, and this is very straightforward here. I don't trust my own instincts. I need a coach. I need outside feedback. Yes. And you know, we all need it. You can't go it alone. We know that, right? That's why uh, technology is great for that reason, but also just trusting your body with a professional, with an expert, or maybe even reading about something you're struggling with, okay? Or listening to this podcast, maybe. You might have been doing something habitually because your mental map is outdated essentially and you need to reburn in new signals to certain body parts and it's okay you know why it's okay because not a single human being on this planet i don't care if you're usain bolt or michael jordan or a newborn baby we're all abiding by this same rule this if you want to call it a rule and that's that our bodies deteriorate our form deteriorates our mental map becomes dysfunctional it deteriorates I don't care what you do. You could be a fitness professional and that's all you do is work on your body your whole life. It never ends. It, it never ends. And that's, that is the biggest key that I want to say about this podcast. And we're going to wrap it up with that, that the movement that I do in a mirror occasionally is not going to fix me right then. It's not going to fix me next week. It's not going to fix me in a month. But the little small adjustments, the consistency that I do of not trying to always win and, and, and race to the summit every day, that's not what it's about. Making small little adjustments every day is going to help our movement in every single way. But we have to have the capability to slow down, go backwards in time, not necessarily backwards in time, but backwards into our movement to understand that we could learn something by going slower we can go, we could learn something by going, um, not necessarily, uh, like not, not even just slower, but, but thinking about it more, being involved in there mentally of what's going on. And if we do those little steps, we are going to make sure that we are more efficient in the long run. We're going to make sure that our movement is a lot better, more consistent. And the movement that you feel like is doing nothing might be the movement that is doing the most thing for you. And that's the biggest thing that we get. You have to look at fitness as not something that you get to win every day. And this is exactly why we kind of quit CrossFit. 
Because that is about winning every day. The sport of CrossFit is about winning every day. And I love the sport of CrossFit and I love CrossFit. But it, it, it's about focusing on the small things, being consistent with them, never trying to win, and just trying to improve our movement at that moment. And that's what I want you guys to think about. Sometimes it takes us a step back. Sometimes it takes us a coach. What I highly suggest, and I've been preaching this a lot recently, is that everyone needs a coach. Even the best people in the world have coaches. And those coaches aren't necessarily world champions. They're not necessarily Olympic uh, gold medalists. They're, they're not those people. They're people who understand the way that a body moves. They're the people that understand that how to get their message across, to teach somebody something about their body that they don't know. And that is biofeedback. And when we take that biofeedback and, and we accept it and we don't just brush it off as nothing, when we take that time to do that, that's when our body changes. That is what Primal Path is about. It's about getting the biofeedback, accepting where we are at, understanding it, understanding we aren't going to fix it in a day, being consistent with our movement and just trying to explore all the compensation patterns that we have in our life, not only explore those compensation patterns, but our deficiencies that we have and accept them. Don't be angry. Don't be mad, but accept what they are and just try to make change to them. And that's what it's about. This is a quick snapshot podcast that we're out here, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know there's tons of background noise, but we had tons of positive, good information for you guys. And uh, if you guys got any questions, please feel free to hit us up at Primal Path. Cheers.